Welcome to the Wisdom School, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. To learn more and support the show, visit us at perennialleader.com. I'd love to stay with the fear, guilt, shame yeah. for, uh, for a minute. It seems like when I was thinking of this obstacles to discerning, you know, someone that's sitting there, there's a fork in the path, this way, that way, there can be this paralysis of looking for some sort of perfect path. And it's, I don't know, to me, it's like the fear, guilt, shame sometimes in my own experience can come up from unrealistic expectations that there is some sort of path in life that is free of mistakes and all of this sort of stuff. I, um, as you know, I, I spent my adult life in the military and something I, I did many many times in the military, if you put these briefs together where it includes maybe three courses of action. And within that, you're identifying some pros and cons for each of those. And if you do it honestly, you know, you see that there isn't a single course of action that doesn't have some downsides. It just doesn't exist. There is no sort of perfect course of action and I don't know, to me, it seems like that can cause, you know, some fear and anxiety of, of maybe striving for perfection. I absolutely agree. As, as, as I was kind of just thinking through some of the stuff we might talk about, because there's always external obstacles, which is the presenting problem most of the time that we're trying to make discernment about. But, you know, like you just named it, there's that sense of in, uh, internal paralysis. It's the, um, you might call it the inner resistance, you know, like even like Stephen Pressfield, like his war of arts, he talks about the resistance yeah. that you have to overcome, even to write a book that you say you want to write and, you know, and get anything done. And so, and I think that is the, the guilt, the shame and the fear just kind of amplified because the, the opposite of those three things <clears throat> would essentially be, um, you know, the, would be number one, fear, you mitigate fear with trust uh, uh, that there's something bigger than yourself that's in play mm -hmm. here. And again, that that's a, could be a religious statement, doesn't necessarily have to be, but that's a, a statement. Um, <clears throat> the shame, you can mitigate that with just a sense of, um, you know what, um, I am enough, you know, that that's the antidote. And then, and this is where that, I think that really affects decisions because, when you have a sense where you can live out of trust, I mean, I'm going to live open-handed, I can be willing to surrender a little bit more, which means I might even be wrong. I can get over the fear of being wrong. Um, the guilt, the shame piece, that a sense of enoughness, um, when you know you're enough, it's not about you anymore and you can ditch the ego because our tendencies, and I know this from my own life, is you try to compensate for the sense that you're not enough by, okay, I have to be the smartest guy in the room. I mean, you know, look, and, you know, here I am, look at all the books I've read. I've even, you know, since I've been thinking about this, I'm like, I always like, why do I always have books behind me when I'm talking? Maybe it's because it's like my front for myself. Hey, I'm a professor. I've read all these books, but, but 
if you could know that you're enough, you can start removing the ego and the ego is always wants to protect us. Um, and when we discern, you know, the best decisions ultimately are those win-wins for the world, which means sometimes the best decision might actually go against a little bit against us personally. And to make that kind of a call, um, you know, you got it. You got to have the ego under control, you know, and then you can throw the, you know, the, the, you know, the guilt piece. Um, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't do enough. Well, how about just be loved, know that you're loved as the antidote to that. And then, you know, going along with being able to surrender and trust, being able to have no ego. Now I can just be more loving. And if I can put myself in that position where I'm making a decision out of a deep sense of trust that there's something bigger at stake, I can make a decision without worrying about how I'm going to look on the other side of the decision um, and then be able to choose because I know that, you know, I'm loved completely regardless of this decision, then maybe I can even be a little braver and make a more loving decision in the way that's going to impact others. Um, but to me, that's, that's getting rid of the, that, that's, that's the push against the noise and, and everything I'm talking about. is not easy. And I've, you know, I've just actually been thinking about this stuff the last couple of weeks, to be honest, it's so fun that, that this is coming out on this episode. So it's good timing, but um, that's, probably more than maybe you were looking for, but uh, that's, that's how I've been kind of connecting that to discernment. No, I think it's great. If we could stay here for just a, a little bit more time, shame in this thing of being lovable is something that's always stuck with me. Uh, Thomas Merton, I, I think it's in no man is an Island but maybe elsewhere, he writes something along the lines of exploring all the ways that we are not lovable. Very counterintuitive and maybe a, a paradox to come to the realization that in spite of it all, we are lovable. And you think of this shame. I'm not enough. You know, the lovable thing kind of connects. It kind of makes sense in a way of, well, love is unconditional. Of course, it's, you know, loving ourselves, realizing that we are enough, seeing through this, you know, illusion of, of shame that's that's not really, really there. You know, how do you think about that of exploring basically, uh, you know, in the Christian tradition. And I think it's in many other traditions, you know, even Seneca says more or less, we are all sinners. You know, how do you think about exploring a bit of our darkness, you know, a bit of in the ways that we are unlovable to find a home and, and, and realize that, that we are. Yeah. You just, I mean, you just said it really well. And the only thing I would just um, add to what you said is, um, and this, you know, I'm certain this is how Merton found it. And I would never claim to, you know, um, have experienced the stuff like Merton has done. Cause I haven't had the, I didn't have, haven't had the privilege or the calling to be a, a monastic, but, um, 
you know, we, we met over my work on the centering prayer, which was, um, you know, similar to what Merton would have done for thousands and thousands of hours in the, at Gethsemane is, um, it's the, it's the, to get to that place that you're talking about, um, is it's spending time literally in silence, which again, silence isn't the absence of sound because as soon as you're in silence, it's all the inner sound that you become acutely aware of. And you just see the complexity of, of your inner life, um, the good and the bad in at least within a, a, you know, like just in a Christian position, um, just the nature of God is being this all knowing, all loving being it, you know, I can still remember sitting in silence and I probably even said this on the, your, the very first time we spoke on your podcast, but um, you know, like I just realized um, I'm sitting there, I'm supposed to be sitting in front with in silence before Jesus, the God who you know dies on a cross for me. And all I am is just, you know, really angry on the inside and I'm playing all these looping tapes, you know, and then I'd even, slide in. I've said this so many times, but it's still kind of embarrassing. Then I'd start having like sexual thoughts and stuff. And I was thinking to myself, what am I, what's wrong with me? I'm supposed to be sitting here with God. And, you know, and what was actually happening is like, I was having a completely normal experience. I didn't know it at the time, but it's normal for anybody who spends time in silence, that entire vice tradition of the Christian faith known as the seven deadly sins. That wasn't just to describe wicked people out there, that was a description of the interior life for anybody that spent time alone. And so in the irony of that, and and you already named it, it's like you see the shadow of yourself. Uh, You see beautiful things too, because, but you become acutely aware um, that, you know, like I like to say, I'm a man who continuously needs grace and I'm a hundred percent aware of that. However, in those moments when you become aware, well, geez, God knows all of this and I don't have to hide this anymore. I can just release the ugliness of my interior life let, and let God essentially, you know, I, the God, the divine plumber, let him come in and drop some of his Drano in there and unclog the pipes. And, and in those moments you realize it's not that God hasn't loved me unconditionally the whole time. It's my own junk that I think has made me unlovable that actually blocks God's love from flowing in. So time and silence allows us to surrender that. And we then get those experiences. And, uh, you know, I know that you've read uh, some Attilic from like the courage to be, but one of Attilic's, um, I think it's in a sermon that he did, he just, he defines grace as accepting the fact that you're unconditionally accepted. And I think it's in those moments, that's what we're really talking about. When you can face your own shadow and you can see it and not push it back down, don't hide it and just give it to God. In those moments, the irony is um, you experience unconditional love by essentially owning the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> 